This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Pete Payne, pastor at Grace Church. John chapter 12. I'm going to start just by looking at this passage. Uh, John 12, 1 through 11 is what we'll be reading this morning. So I'm going to begin just by reading this passage. And then I've got some things I want to show you from the G2 meeting last night. I've got this great, great picture I want to show you. John chapter 12, six days before the Passover, and this is referring to his final Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. There's a a story, it's a snapshot, it's a picture. You can imagine the scene, which most of us typically do. We hear something orally, and we, in our minds, we create this picture of what it was. Now, this picture that you're about to see has nothing to do with that story, but I want you to take a look at this picture. Turn it off. Now, if you had to write a story about that picture, I can guarantee you I'd get 200 and whatever different variations. All of you would have focused in on different things in the picture. You only had that little snapshot for just a second. Somebody might write about the whole picture. Someone might have focused in on one face and said, well, I saw this particular person. And so as we read through the gospel accounts, that's what we get. We get these different snapshots, and there's sometimes there are stories that are written in all the Gospels. Sometimes they're in three, sometimes in two, and sometimes they're only in one. The different writers inspired by the Holy Spirit bring forth different things. And I want you to watch this picture again. Is this the video, Jason? There it is. It's one of the best fish faces I've ever seen. Kara, good job. Okay. So, in that picture, we've chosen to zoom in on a particular piece of the picture. And that's exactly what John does in this story. I want to go back and look at a couple of the other 
variations, a couple of the other depictions that Matthew and Mark bring to this story, because there's things there that we pick up. Matthew and Mark present a broader picture. It's kind of like the first one we looked at. They, they present the scene as a whole, whereas John focuses in more specifically and personally, as we just did, on a few of the people. So the, in the Matthew picture, I want to appeal for your patience because it's going to take us a couple minutes to look through these. I want, I want to read these to you. You don't need to turn, but you could write these references down. Matthew's story, the same story, is found in Matthew 26. And I want to highlight a couple of the differences between that and what we just read in John 12. Matthew 26 reads this way. When Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. So Matthew names the, the house. They're not at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're at the house of Simon the leper. A woman, so instead of naming Mary, he just says a woman. He's looking at it more broadly, seeing the bigger picture. Came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, poured it on his head. Now John referenced that he, she anointed his feet. So as we put these two pictures together, initially there's a question, what's happening here? When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. So there was more than just Judas there. The disciples were there. John chose to focus in on Judas, but as Matthew looks at the bigger picture, more than Judas were, were complaining about this particular thing. They were indignant, saying why this waste could have been sold for a large sum. He doesn't specify the sum. John says it's 300 denarii, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. I have an assistant for the message today. It's my friend Joe. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Now, there's a statement that Jesus made as he's focusing on what Jesus is doing that... John did not highlight that, but that statement's made by Matthew. We'll see it's also made by Mark. You, also, you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So there's just a couple of details as Matthew focuses more on what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying, that he brings out that John and his zooming in on the three characters of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha chooses not to put in. And we see this composite picture, the big picture of what's happening in this room in the house of Simon the leper. Mark's photo is very very similar to Matthew's. I'm not going to read the whole thing. He notes that she broke the jar. As he, as he uh, goes through the, the same story, talking about it, same details that Matthew brings out, but he also notes that the jar was broken as she poured it out on Jesus. And he also says what Jesus reported, she has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What an amazing statement. So they're seeing Jesus pointing at this woman and saying, she's done a beautiful thing for me. Wherever my gospel is preached, this story is going to be told. Phenomenal. Then there's the Luke story. Luke does not tell this story. Luke tells another story, which as you read back through church history, many times people have tried to combine all of these. This is a different story that Luke tells about a different woman and a different Simon, Simon the Pharisee. 
And another, and I'm not going to read this one in its entirety, but you all probably are familiar with this story where Jesus is at the home of Simon, who's invited him. He's a Pharisee. He doesn't wash Jesus' feet. He doesn't greet him. He doesn't anoint his head. He, he gives none of the normal standard uh, hospitality things are given to Jesus as he comes in. And the commentators would say about this, probably he wants Jesus out of there as fast as he can. It's kind of an obligation on having Jesus in. And this sinful woman comes in to the house, unannounced, uninvited, and begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. So there's similarities here. And Jesus goes on to tell Simon a story about one person who had been given a, forgiven a great debt and another who had been forgiven a small debt. And he asks the question, which one of these will love me more, will love the Master more? And Simon, who has been very rude to Jesus, who has said to himself, if he knew what kind of a woman this was, if he were a prophet, he wouldn't let her be doing this. So Simon answers, well, I'm sure the one who's forgiven the bigger debt will love him more. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. You've answered correctly. And then he turns to the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. And obviously that he receives the ire of the Pharisees for that because only God can forgive sins. But that's a different story. It's an important story because there's similarities as we're trying, as we're reading through all of the Bible, all of the counsel of God. We need to know how Jesus thinks and what he says because it's important as we try to interpret this story in John that we know this background. Luke does have a different snapshot of Martha and Mary, and it's the one we're probably most familiar with, where there's a dinner party. This time it is at their house in Bethany. And Martha is serving, and she's going crazy. She's in and out of the kitchen. And you know, Mary, the lazy one, is sitting at Jesus' feet, oblivious to what Martha is doing. And at one point, Martha, <laughs> it was funny, reading some of the commentators, they, they were creating all these pictures about how she's coming into the room, banging pots, trying to get Mary's attention, Jesus' attention, all speculation. But finally, Mary does come in and say to Jesus, don't you care? Okay, that's how she starts the speech. When you're talking to God, it's not a good way to start your conversation. Although you laugh, but we've all done it, haven't we? We've all started a conversation with God saying, are you paying attention? Don't you care to what's happening to me? That's how Mary started. Don't you care? And then she proceeds to tell him what to do. Tell my sister to help me. There's Martha. Martha is kind of the the female version of the Apostle Peter, who regularly was telling Jesus what to do himself. So Luke tells that story, but he doesn't tell the story that we're looking at this morning. Okay, And you remember what Jesus said to Martha. Martha, you can see him taking her face in his hands. Martha, you're busy with so many things. One thing's important, and Mary's found it. It's not going to be taken away from her. So he commends Mary, who's sitting at his feet, in a worldly way, doing nothing. But in the spiritual sense, she's doing the important thing. So we have that previous picture of this little family. And then, of course, John gives us many pictures. John gave us a story that we read that Rod looked at so well last week in, in John 11, where Lazarus died. And as Tim said this morning, Jesus heard that he was sick, so he waited two more days. Until he came, because he loved them. He loved Lazarus. We hear that statement. He loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha in, in uh, John, 11 chapter, or John chapter 11, verse 5. Very important to hear that. J Jesus loved them. 
And so he waited. And so this incredible event where Lazarus is raised from the dead. We've had that experience. Today we're going to look at the final picture. We've read it. We're going to look at the final picture that we have. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's not by mistake that the Gospels are written and put into the canon in that order. So this is the final picture we have of Mary and Martha and Lazarus in the Scriptures. So it's an important one. And God has, just as we zoomed that picture in, God zooming our camera in to see specific things in this particular story. I think we're going to find that to Mary and her siblings, Jesus had become powerful, personal, and a priceless treasure. And this story is going to beg us to answer this question, what has he become to us? Is he the same? Is he powerful? Is he personal? And above all, is he a priceless treasure? So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us zoom in on exactly what he wants us to see this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the unity of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have protected your word down through the centuries and all of hell has determined to tear your word out of our hands and yet you have protected it and given it to us. And we love the picture, Father, of Mary sitting at your feet, receiving your word. We want to be more like that. We want to love your word. We want to be like David, crying out to you, how I love your law. So, Father, we ask that you would speak this morning, that you would speak in open hearts, just as you opened the hearts of Lazarus and Martha and Mary, of others, of so many others down through the, the centuries, through the millennia now. Lord, we recognize that you have sent Jesus to speak your word to us, that he has said, if my word abides in you, if you abide in my word, ask me anything and it will be given. If you obey my word, then you're truly my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Father, we rejoice in your word this morning and we do pray that you would focus our attention Deliver us from any extraneous things, Lord. Deliver us from words that are meaningless. And let us focus in on what you are doing, what you are saying. That we would be like your son. We would be conformed to his image. We would see the things that you're doing and do them with you and hear the things that you're saying and say only those things. Thank you, Father, that your word is powerful. Powerful to save. So we ask you to do just that this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so to Mary and to Martha and Lazarus, Jesus had become this powerful and personal and priceless treasure. So they had witnessed in their relationship with him the power of Jesus. Look at verse 1 again of of John uh, chapter 12. He writes this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore had come to Bethany where Lazarus was, and John highlights this, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So in their personal experience with him, they had experienced the power. Paul writes to the Ephesians, for all of us as believers, we have this same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Well, Lazarus had literally experienced that. Jesus had called to him and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he had responded to the word of God, responded to that word, and he had, he had been rescued from death. Death itself had been defeated by Jesus. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were eyewitnesses of this. They had personally experienced and seen 
We know for sure they've heard many of the other stories of Jesus healing lepers and, and, and uh, lame people. He had healed, uh, cast out demons. He had performed miracles. He had walked on water. They knew, but they knew by their own personal experience, just previous to this, they had witnessed a dead man who'd been dead for four days. The stone is rolled away, and instead of a stench of death coming forth, he comes forth. They'd seen that. So in their personal experience with Jesus, in their relationship, they had seen the power of God. More important than that, Martha had said to him in that encounter, right before Lazarus was raised, Jesus had asked her this question. He's saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. Martha, don't you understand? Do you believe these things? And Martha had confessed, just as Peter had confessed, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Well, what did, what did Jesus said to Peter when he said that? Blessed are you, Simon Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My Father in heaven revealed it to you. So Martha, who made this confession, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the very purpose that John says he's writing this book, that you may hear it and that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that in believing you may have life in his name. So Martha had experienced More important than Lazarus being raised back to physical life was this confession that Martha made. She didn't make that up. God gave it to her. She had experienced personally the power of the Holy Spirit in her life, giving her these words, you're the Christ. Anyone who confesses that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. She had confessed that. So they experienced and witnessed the power. So Jesus had become to them The powerful, powerful one. They had experienced the personal presence of Jesus. And this is what is so important. Where Matthew and Mark said a woman came in, John tells us it was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. In John 11, he tells us he loved them. They were his friends. They were his personal friends. He loved them so much that when he heard Lazarus was dying, he waited two extra days so that Lazarus and Mary and Martha could experience this resurrection and they could come to know him as the resurrection and the life, as the, as the Messiah. That's how much he loved them. He le- as Rob did so well last week, he said, he, sometimes God just makes us wait. And that's his love because he wants us to know him. That's, what, that's how much he loved them. So they've experienced his love. They experienced his tears. They experienced him coming and having this conversation with Martha who ran to meet him. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know, Lord, as Martha in her typical ways tried to control the situation, even now I know whatever you ask of the Father of God, he'll give it to you. And Jesus says to her, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who dies... In me, though he die, yet shall he live. Yeah, I, I know, I know, Jesus. I know that he'll be resurrected in that last day. No, I'm, I am the resurrection. Martha, do you believe this? Yes. And she's touched by God and she makes this confession. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. Amazing. They've experienced Mary after she waits in the room. Don't really know why she was doing that. Lots of speculation out there. Was she just... Mad at Jesus? Was she sad? Was she what? But Martha comes back and says, "The Master is calling for you." Oh, the Master's calling, and she immediately gets up and she runs and she falls at his feet and says, "Master, in tears, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." 
So she has this encounter. And, and then this amazing, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He wept with her. So they experience he's their friend. He's not some God up on a mountaintop. Smoke, stay away. Send Moses up. Don't come close to this mountain. He's with them. They've experienced him. He's, he's probably held their faces in their hands and said, Martha, Martha. He loves them. He loves Lazarus. He's with them. He's having dinner at the home of Simon, the leper. And Martha is serving. And Lazarus is with him at the table. There's this intimate picture of them together. They've experienced him not only as powerful, but also as present. And in just a minute, we're going to talk about how Mary then anointed probably Jesus' head and his whole body, as he said in Matthew and Mark, and his feet. She's touching his head and his body and his feet. She's, you know, John later talks about in 1 John, this that we've handled, that we've touched, we proclaim this to you. We've been with this man. We love him. He loved us. He's a personal savior. He's not just powerful. If, if he were, that's enough. If he were just God, omnipotent God, and he said, do this or you die, that should be sufficient. But he chose not to stop there. He chose to c- come and be with us. These very feet that are going to be pierced, these hands that are going to be pierced, this head that's going to be pierced, Mary, beforehand his anointing so he's powerful to them and he's personally present with them and probably most importantly in terms of their eternity they've come to appreciate the value the pricelessness of this jesus lazarus had been loved and he'd come to know jesus as the resurrection and the life he had been translated we see this great picture from death literally dead Four days in the tomb, sister is sure, when you roll the stone away, there's going to be a stench to life. He's experienced that. Jesus to him is a priceless treasure that he, ha- he knows personally. Martha has been loved and she's been transformed. We're going to look in a minute at Martha's response to this. How Martha was one thing and yet like Paul said, this is what I was, but this is what I've become. She's experienced the transforming power of Jesus, and he's worthy of her worship through service. That's how she's come to know him. He's, she, he is priceless to her as well. And Mary, Mary, who the, the camera ultimately focuses most closely in, comes zooming in because Jesus wants us to see Mary. Mary had been given what was promised to Abraham 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years before this event, where Abraham had just given a lot the best of the land. He gave Lot first choice. Take your choice. And then God spoke to Abraham after Lot had left. And he said, Abraham, guess what? I am your great reward. Now, to anybody in the world, they would say, the best of the land or some invisible being that may or may not be there, I choose the land. That's what the world would say. But Abraham understood and by faith he said, I want that. I want this one. I want you to be my great and precious reward. And that's exactly what Mary found. Mary found Jesus to be the pearl of great price, the one who is worthy of taking a year's worth of wages, 300 denarii. Imagine you take a year's salary, you go buy a bottle of perfume that costs an entire year's salary, and you break it and pour it out on somebody. It's, you can understand why the disciples would say, what a waste. 
Couldn't you just put a couple drops on them and saved, and we could have sold the rest of it? What a waste. But to someone to whom he is precious and priceless, it didn't matter. She loved much. She understood, I've been forgiven much. I don't really understand, but I see somehow that I'm anointing him for burial. I I don't get all this yet, probably, but somehow she's discerning. She's seeing that. Jesus referenced that. She's done this to prepare me for burial. So we don't know how much Mary knew, but Mary knew something. And she said, now's the time to anoint him. And it's worth a year's wages to me to do this. It's worth everything. He is precious. He's not just a powerful creator. He's a present and personal savior. And I love him. And I want him to know that. And Jesus receives it and points us. He says, turn the camera off of me for a second. I want to show you somebody. Anywhere the gospel's preached, you're going to hear this story. So we would do well to pay attention. So as they came to know her in these ways, as, as, Jesus, as they came to know Jesus in these ways as powerful, as personal, as priceless, they each responded in their own way. And I think we're, there are lessons for us to learn. I think God, again, he's taken Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's brought us to this moment. The rest of the book of John is going to be all about Jesus. There is never going to be a moment where the camera is not focused on him. But for one last moment, he's saying, I want you to look at something. I want you to look at the impact that the power of God, the word of God, the presence of God has and will have for generations to come on everyone who hears these words. This is what I want it to look like. So look how Lazarus responded. Lazarus, we don't know anything about Simon. He was a leper. We know he must have been healed. He must have been declared clean by the, uh, the Jewish rabbis or he would not have been, A, in his house He wouldn't certainly have been hosting a dinner party in his house. So we can speculate, maybe Jesus healed him. In any event, he's willing, as a healed leper who's been declared clean, to host a dinner party for Jesus in his home. So in all probability, although we don't know for certain, here's a guy who also had been healed by Jesus of his leprosy. But in any event, what we do know is here's Lazarus, who with certainty had been raised from the dead, What does the scripture say here? Lazarus was with him at the table. Now, don't miss the significance of those words, because in verses 9, 10, and 11, we we read that a death warrant has been posted for Lazarus. He was raised from the dead. People are going out to see not only Jesus now, but also this dude that that Jesus raised from the dead. We better kill him too. So Lazarus, by identifying with Jesus has sealed his death warrant. He's become a stench to the world. The very word that Martha said there'll be a stink, they all agree. There's a stink, and it's coming from Lazarus. We want to kill him. So by being with Jesus at the table, he is identifying. He's saying, I shun that. I count that as nothing compared to being with this one who said to me, come forth, Lazarus. He knows what's true. So that's how Lazarus responds. He never says a word. Lazarus is never recorded as saying one word. He votes with his feet. I'll be with Jesus. I identify with Jesus. I want the world to know. If they kill me, they kill me. I'm with Jesus at the table. What a privilege. That's what he says with his actions. Martha, is, this is an amazing... I love this part about Martha because I can't identify with Mary, but I sure can identify with Martha. 
Martha responded to all of the revelations about Jesus by continuing to move toward Jesus. Let's just trace her history a little bit and put yourself in her shoes and think about how many times, at least me, I don't do what she did. Okay? Scene number one, the first time we ever see Martha, she is serving her head off. She's the one. She's the heroine. It's her house. Luke tells us it's Martha's house, so probably she's the eldest. Very odd that Lazarus, her brother, it's not called Lazarus' house, but the scripture calls it Martha's house. She's the boss lady. She's the one. She's the one who's serving. And everybody else, Lazarus is probably lounging at the table with Jesus like he always does. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, being lazy. My younger sister, probably. What in the world is this? So finally, after heroically serving for however many hours in the kitchen, she comes out and she says to Jesus, don't you care? And please, Lord God of the universe, tell my sister, let me tell you what you need to be doing. So that's the first picture we have of Martha. Then we see the next time we see Martha, we see her running out to meet Jesus and saying, God, or Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, it will be done for you. So she's still at that moment looking at him as the miracle worker. She's not meeting him yet in the way that he wants to meet her. And he, he says to her, Martha, don't you understand? I am the resurrection and the life. And finally, she makes this confession. He, she, he sees, she's received this word from the Lord. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And then just a few minutes later, and this is why I get so much hope for this, we have these revelations. Just like Peter, remember when Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. A few minutes later, Peter is saying, Oh, no, Lord, you're not going to Jerusalem to die. Let me tell you what your agenda is from here on out. Exactly. Now, here's what Martha does. Roll away the stone. No, 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 Jesus. No, you don't know what's happening here. The stench is going to... He's been dead for four days. So I receive hope from that because how many times have I experienced a rebuke from the Lord, a correction from the Lord, because I did the same thing again. And yet, what does Martha do? She keeps pressing back. The next scene we have of her is this beautiful scene that we just read about where Martha is serving. She's not talking. She's not complaining about Mary not serving. She's serving not in her own house, in somebody else's house. We see that her service, her works, have been turned into worship. It's this amazing picture of sanctification, of how Jesus takes us and he meets us patiently over and over and over again. And he loves us. And he keeps coming back. And he keeps allowing us to come back. But we all need to respond like Martha. It, it, it was interesting to me as I studied this week. How the parallel here. Between these two sisters. And two brothers that we read about early in the Bible. Remember the two brothers I'm talking about? Cain and Abel. Way back in Genesis. I think John wants us to see this as well. Because there were two brothers. If you're not familiar with the story. They brought their offering to the Lord, and Abel's offering was received, kind of like Mary's was received. And Cain's offering was not, kind of like Martha's was not, in the first story. But the difference stops there, because Cain, receiving a rebuke from the Lord, kills his brother. He moves away from God. He moves away. And there's a picture forever emblazoned in the Word of God of what not to do. When God comes to you and says, change, 
Mary gives us the picture of what we are to do. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're busy with so many things. What your sister is doing is right and what you're doing is wrong. It's not necessarily what you're doing, but your heart attitude reveals that you're angry, that it's all about your work, that the focus is you, not me. Mary understands. When I'm rebuked like that, my first impulse is to run from God. I can remember a time when I was a young youth minister at a Presbyterian church, and one of the elders, for whatever reason I still to this day don't know, sadly I don't know, came in and he was sitting at his desk in the in the office doing some paperwork and I walked in and he was just angry with me and he just lambasted me and I was completely shocked and I went from that room and I never went back to him I was angry with him my my reaction was anger what in the world who do you think you are so instead of saying Lord you allowed that I wonder if this guy who may be all wet, maybe he's talking about somebody else and just, probably he's talking about somebody else, just confused me with that person. Lord, you in your sovereign rule over the universe have allowed this guy to be a, a leader in our church and I need to go find out what it is. He may be wrong, he may be confused, I have no idea what he's talking about, but instead of moving toward Not necessarily the man, but what God was doing in the midst of that. Instead of moving toward that correction and saying, Lord, I want to know more. I want to press into you. I moved away. I never talked to that guy. I never went back and said, what are you seeing? What are you talking about? I don't don't understand this. Martha doesn't do that. Martha's this wonderful picture of, Martha, Martha, your sister's right. You're wrong. Ah, Jesus, but we see her the next scene. She's running to Jesus. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. We see her in the next scene. Jesus, don't roll the stone away. Martha, roll the stone away. We see her in the next scene. Serving, coming back. We all need to learn to do that. We need to learn that every criticism, every rebuke, every waiting for two extra days, under the sovereign hand of God is for our good. And we need to react like Martha did. Amazing story. I love that story. This is the one that scares me. Mary. Here's Mary. She is enraptured. Worshipping him. She's counting everything as a loss. Compared to this surpassing glory of knowing this one. Just like Paul would later write to the Philippian church. I count it all as dung, as waste. So just as the disciples had said, what a waste. She said, absolutely. A year's wages, that's nothing compared to him. Letting my hair down, which in that culture was never done in public. It was a sign of being a harlot. She lets her hair down and wipes his feet with her hair. She doesn't care about her reputation. She doesn't care about her wealth. Jesus, to her, is a priceless, priceless treasure. She has become the fulfillment of the very thing that John wrote about in the fourth chapter where Jesus meets with this Samaritan woman, remember? And what does he say to her? The Father seeking worshipers. And I think the reason that Jesus focuses this camera lens right down on Mary's face and on her hands and on her hair is he saying, this is what I'm looking, this is what the Father is seeking, this. 
worshipers. She understands. How did she get there? She's worshiping him with reckless abandon. Really, reckless abandon. She doesn't care what the other people think. She doesn't care what her sister thinks, if if Martha's still dealing with her sin. She doesn't care what the men in the room think about her letting her hair down. And uh, She probably knew about the story of the other woman and how Simon was thinking to himself, what kind of, what, why would Jesus let this happen? She probably knew that story. She didn't care because she's going to anoint him beforehand for his burial. She's going to worship him. She's going to respond to him because she knows him as this powerful, personal savior. How had she learned this? And this, I think, is the most important thing we can take away. How had Mary learned this? There are three scenes in the Bible with Mary. And one of the commentators pointed out, this is, I think, just a brilliant insight. Every time we see Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. Okay, you remember that? First time, she's at his feet while Martha's working. She's listening to his word. She's receiving his word. She's sitting at his feet, receiving his word. Second time we see him, she's at his feet, casting herself down, saying, Lord, if you had been here in her desperation, she's praying to him. So she's receiving from him first his word. She's coming to him with her need. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. End of story. I I don't know anything else, but I know where I need to be right now. Is at your feet. And here again we see her, having received the word, having cried out and received what what God gave her as a gift, her brother back. She now just pours herself out in worship. And again, John says, look, she's at his feet one more time, anointing them with this ridiculously expensive perfume, pouring it out, wiping it off with her hair. And so the fragrance of that fills the room. Everyone's affected by it. And to this day, Jesus said, wherever this gospel is preached, this story will be told. Not because Mary is a saint. She's no different than us. Not because she had some unique thing. She learned the same way that we need to learn. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving his word, crying out to him, bringing our burdens to him, responding to his call. When he calls, we go. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Mary had learned that experientially with Jesus. She knew what she needed to do. She knew where the source of help was. She knew who the powerful one was. She knew who the personal God of the universe was. And she knew that he was going to die. So she wanted to anoint. Jesus said, she's done a beautiful thing. Sadly, there's one other person in our picture here in John. It's Judas, who followed after Cain. And sadly represents the vast majority of the human race. Self-centered, recoiling from Jesus, getting a rebuke and moving away. Jesus rebukes Judas and instead of acting like Martha, what does he do? To him, Jesus is not priceless. He has a price. It's 30 pieces of silver. Martha and Mary and Lazarus had met Jesus as powerful as personal and as priceless. And they, I think, would ask us, who is he to you? What has he become to you today? And I believe that the Lord just wants to remind us, he's not looking for people who come to him and say, 
by golly, in my own strength, I'm going to be a worshiper of God. It doesn't work that way. It works the way that we see in Mary's life. Lord, here I am. Feed me. I'm hungry. Feed me. I'm needy. Feed me. I sit at your feet and I receive your word. So Mary would ask, I believe, are you spending time in the word every day receiving from him this one who raised my brother from the dead? Are you receiving? Do you understand what he's done for you? Can you come every morning and just sit at his feet? And then can you pour out your petitions to him, your needs? Can you respond to his call? Notice Mary didn't run out like Martha and initiate. She waited until Jesus called. The master is calling to you. So we hear in his word this call, and his call says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Come. Remember who I am. I'm powerful. I can meet every need. And I know every need. And I know perfectly how to meet it. And I'm personal. I'm not standing up with the trumpet on the top of a mountain shouting at you. I will hold your face in my hands and I'll speak to you exactly what you need to hear. Come to me and receive. That's the one who's calling to you. So let's be like Mary. Receive the word. Come and cry out to him and bring our needs to him and pour out our hearts before him. He wants to hear it. That's why John says, look... Look at the personal care of Jesus. Look how he looks at Mary and says, this one story is going to be told. Well, guess what? He would say the same about us. Not because we're worthy. Mary was not worthy. But because he loves us. That's what the gospel says. I love you. Because I love you. Now you can love me in return. Here's how you can love me. Here's how you can learn to love me. Here's how you can become this kind of a worshiper. Receive my word to me in prayer and then come and worship come and worship you've been listening to a message from Grace Church for more information visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org